kind of you you were suggesting that it'd be nice to talk about that kind of border between creativity and business and it's really difficult to deal with uh, because the other people in the band tended to see me as the businessman and I kind of had that hat on for them. And so when I was writing songs and suggesting new ideas for, for the creative side of things, I tended to get sidestepped. And in the business world, people were saying, yeah, but he's just this kind of mad punk bloke, creative person. We're not listening to him either. Hello and welcome to Your Creative Haven, a podcast by Kobe. Join us as we talk about things like community, creativity, collaboration, and self-discovery. We'll share stories, struggles, tips, and laughs about living lives as creatives, entrepreneurs, and dreamers. Join us on the journey. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Your Creative Haven. I have Jason Barnard here. He is in the digital marketing space. Uh, he is known as the Brand Serp guy and, uh, and he's uh, started multiple companies and he was previously a punk folk musician. So he's got a lot happening here and uh, I'll uh, let him say hello and uh, introduce himself. So. Hello, Jason. Hi there. Yeah, absolutely lovely to be here, Josh. Thank you for inviting me. I am indeed the brand SERP guy, but I've had many hats over the years, uh, including cartoon blue dogs and punk folk musician, as you rightly said, and economist for that matter, and um, a video script reading person i don't know what you would call it <laughs> um reading off a teleprompter is one a new thing i've started doing which uh, is an interesting kind of creative situation but we can probably talk about other things than that um yeah i, I deal in brand serps and most people don't really know what they are i mean brand can be your personal name it can be a company name it can be your pseudonym if you're a creative or a nom de plume as we said because i'm french <laughs> uh, if you're writing books or presumably painting and it's a brand serp is what your audience sees when they google that name and it's phenomenally important and totally underestimated yeah now i i just actually checked my name um i don't think i'm i don't think i'm famous enough to to have to have a wikipedia page or anything anything like that yet but um i right. did i i did search my name because i was very interested what came up so i'm so curious ooh, 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 i'd like to just yeah, yeah. point something out famous enough to have a wikipedia page doesn't come into this and, and it's a really important point because people tend to think, oh, no, people will only search my name if I'm famous and I mm -hmm. can have a Wikipedia page if I'm famous. Ergo, I need a Wikipedia page in, in order to exist as a human being in the famous landscape, as it were. But, you know, anybody can search your name. In a meeting, on a Zoom call, somebody can search your name. And that, you're not famous when they do that. What's important is that Google recognize, recognizes who you are and can represent you in an in a, in a, a honest, let's say, manner. And so uh, if, I, if, if we come back to the Wikipedia idea, don't think that you can't optimize what people see when they Google your name. Is link, it's not linked to the Wikipedia page. It's linked to the other stuff that you publish online. It's linked to your own website primarily. 
And that's really important. It's your website that represents you. You are the authority on yourself, and it's up to you to help Google to represent you to your audience in the manner that you want it to. So you're actually here, and this is nice, educating Google about yourself. Are you working with individual people? Or are you mostly working with um, bi- businesses? What what kind of clients are you usually helping people out with um, um, with that? Oh, well, this is actually kind of coming coming to where we were talking about. I find that a lot of my work is kind of creative, um, but to pay the bills, I need to work for companies. Um, and companies aren't necessarily the most interesting cases to be dealing with. Um, but, and, and sorry, yeah, and, and, but what I do do is share everything I learn as much as I possibly can. So, uh, I mean, if people are interested in the tricks for this, follow me on Twitter or follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and I've got a thing called the Daily Brand Cert, which is basically I take completely at random uh, what appears for a brand name or a person's name or a music album name or a film name when somebody Googles it. And then I walk you through it a little bit and I point out something interesting or something helpful that the, the people might be able to make use of. And it's a really good way to start to understand how Google builds that results page. As SERP, by the way, is search engine results page. Uh, I say SERP and I think everybody knows what it is, but it isn't. It's a search engine results page. It's what you see when you type something into Google. Um, and it, it, if you can start to understand how Google's building that, you can start to control it. And controlling it, you would think, oh, that's going to be really complicated. It's not. It's writing clear, uh, helpful copywriting that explains clearly who you are, what you do, and who your audience might be. And if you can do that, you're basically just explaining to Google who you are, what you do, what your audience might be, and indicate to it the content that you think is going to be valuable to that audience. And what Google's looking to do with that brand set is saying, okay, I've recognized who this person is, and I'm looking to show the person who's looking up that person on Google content that is valuable to them and helpful to them. So that's going to be your, your own website. And it's going to be your videos if you're making lots of videos. It's going to be your podcast if you've got a podcast like you do. Uh, in fact, how do you say your second name? Is it Resh? Rec. German. Rec, I, oh, I do apologize. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's a... Hey, I've heard all sorts of things my whole entire life. I had a basketball coach uh, that it was a different last name every day. So. <laughs> oh, well, you probably get that from me today, but in every minute. Uh, and I do... I would like to point out... Josh actually asked me how to pronounce my name before we started, and I didn't <laughs> think to ask him how to pronounce his. More fool me. But back to back to that. Um, it, it is it is kind of saying to yourself, you know, if you're tweeting a lot, mm-hmm. Google would want to show your Twitter feed. Um, if you're a painter, it would want to show images. So you need to look at what appears in that relevant place, the geo relevant place that's appearing for you. And make sure that the right information is appearing. Now, really important, if you don't have a website, get one. If you don't have a website, Google has nowhere to actually look to figure out what it is the authority on yourself is saying about yourself. Because what it does is it looks at what you say, 
And then it goes around the web and it checks if you're telling the truth, if, if you're being honest about yourself. And if you are, it will show pretty much what you want. It's a, quite a lot of work, very simple work, but it starts with your website. And that website can be one page. It doesn't have to be a big website. One page will do it absolutely fine. Um, it can be two pages. It can be one page. It can contain your videos. It can contain your, your, your paintings. It can contain descriptions of your music and contain, importantly, links to all your works and your profiles on other sites, which is basically saying to Google, look, this is what I'm saying, and there it all is. Really simple. Hmm. Cool. That's awesome. I feel like that that's just a very helpful tip for, for anyone that's creating. So yeah. thank and you for that. And if you want to be scary, if you want any kind of control of your digital kind of identity through Google and Bing and Amazon and Facebook, who are all looking at this information, although Facebook and Amazon obviously have different sources, but they're all looking to find the one place on the web that represents the person or the company or whatever it might be. And you need to proactively go out there, create it, and be able to provide it to them because that's where control starts. They're all doing the same thing. They're going to be looking at this and saying, this is what you're trying to say. Do we agree? Yes, we do. Then we will show. And, and if you don't do that, I think further down the line, you're going to run into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful. So thank thank you for uh, for sharing that. I do want to talk about kind of your, because you have been in the creative realms and you've been in the business realm. And so I do want to talk a little bit about uh, just your story and kind of yeah. Where, where that where that began and so i know you i know you've done music yeah you've you're a cartoonist um i'm sure there's other creative creative projects and things that you've been working on so um can you share a little bit about about uh just your story yeah um well the irony i suppose is that i actually at school i was really good at maths uh, and that turned out to be good at economics and i did a degree in economics at liverpool john moore's uh, which is a fairly second-rate university in the UK. Um, and I met a, a guy who said, we basically decided to form a blues band and we called it Stanley the Counting Horse, which is the silliest name for a blues band ever. And we played lots of music. We played the Cavern Club, where the Beatles played very famously, um, wow. which doesn't make me a better musician, doesn't make me a better <laughs> person, but it's a cool fact. And... That kind of set me off thinking, well, yeah, I can be creative. I don't have to mathematician my whole life. And then at the end of the degree, they had a big meeting with all the people from the degree and they said, right, 80% of you are going to become accountants, 10% are going to become teachers, 5% are going to become um, economists, and 3% or 4% will go and do something else. I'm, I'm in that last group. I'm not going to do the other job. And I then moved to Paris on a, on a whim and met a, a group who were playing in the street. And they said to me, if you want to join our band, because I played a tiny bit of guitar, but I, I could sing. Uh, if you want to join our band, you have to play double bass. I said, I don't play double bass. And they said, well, if you want to join the band, that's the only way you're going to get in. So I went and bought a double bass and came back and said, okay, right. And they said, you've got 30 days, you've got to learn the double bass. And I basically learned to play double bass in 30 days. Um, not very well, of course, but <laughs> well, well enough to suit their purposes. Were you just practicing all day for the 30 days? Um, I'd like to say yes, but no. Um, <laughs> I actually had a lesson from a, a, a German guy who 
told me, basically, he said that there are only a few things you need to remember. Number one is always hit it in time. Number two, uh, when you make a mistake, forget about it straight away or you won't be able to carry on. You're just going to be thinking about it. But <laughs> yeah. as soon as it's done, it's gone. Forget about it. And if you have trouble forgetting it, think, think like this. There are only two types of people in the audience. One is people who know nothing about music and they don't know you've made a mistake. And the other is jazz people. And they will have heard you made a mistake, but they're going to think you've done something incredibly clever that they haven't thought of. <laughs> so they're not going to say anything either. And that's probably not true, but it does certainly help you to, to relax. And, oh, the other thing he said was smile. If you smile, people think you know what you're doing. <laughs> and it works. That's, that's great advice. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of joined the band and then that's kind of built me into this kind of creative space where we started writing songs and we were playing in the street, making a living playing the street, which was a lot of fun. And then we thought, let, let's make an album. This was 1991. And in 1991, you couldn't record an album at home and you no. couldn't mix it on Pro Tools on a, on a, on a PC. Uh, this was the Mac 2, if you remember that. It went 250K was a lot of memory. Um, yeah. <laughs> so obviously kind of sound didn't really hack it in that. Um, and... So we, we tried to get a record deal and nobody would give us a record deal. And so I decided to start a company just to record an album. Uh -huh. And that's how I got into the kind of business side of things is I thought the record companies are all rubbish. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to record the album myself, release it myself. I don't care, um, which is very punk. And uh, it worked okay. We, we sold, I think, about 40,000 albums over six years. And that was purely by kind of brute, I'm going to do this pig-headedness. Um, and, but kind of you, you were suggesting that it would be nice to talk about that kind of border between creativity and business. Yeah. And it's really difficult to deal with uh, because the other people in the band tended to see me as the businessman. And I kind of had that hat on for them. And so when I was writing songs and suggesting new ideas for, for the creative side of things, I tended to get sidestepped. And in the business world, people were saying, yeah, but he's just this kind of mad punk bloke, creative person. We're not listening to him either. <laughs> stuck in the middle here. <laughs> yeah, a bit like Steeler's Wheel, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, actually without yeah. you because you weren't there at the time. You probably weren't even born now, I think I, about it. I definitely know the song though. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I, it, was, it was frustrating. I found it incredibly frustrating. Um, yeah. But then I actually, the, the group split, and which is my favorite rock and roll quote, the group split. That's what we all say. And it sounds terribly kind of romantic and it's actually simply completely depressing. Because if you think about it, when you're in a band, you travel, we travel around, we did 100,000 kilometers a year for six years. Um completely, you know, boring, dull, uninteresting to play three or four gigs. We played 600 and something gigs uh, over that period of time. And you would sit in the van for seven or eight hours in a day, turn up, play an hour of music. And when you think about it, the investment of time necessary to do that one hour of music, of live music, was immense. All the yeah. practicing, all the driving, all the arguing with the other people in the band, sleeping on horrible mattresses in awful smelly hotels um 
and you really truly do it because you think i mean it I think when you're young, it's fun. But you also think, we're going to be rock stars. One day we're going to turn up and this is going to be a stadium. And of course it never is. I mean, you're totally naive. Uh, but it keeps you going. Then one day somebody in the band wakes up and says, this isn't going to happen. And everyone goes, no, it isn't, is it? It's like, the, the spell is broken and that's the end of the band. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I then went on and I decided I was going to write some songs for children. Great idea. So I, I recorded an album. This, this was 1998. So that was a time when you could start recording stuff at your own house, mixing it all on Pro Tools. So I got a copy of Pro Tools and I learned to use it. And I recorded an album for children in my um, Parisian bedroom, which was kind of cool, uh, and pitched it to all the record companies. And they all said, nope, you're, you're a punk folk musician. You can't do children's music. So once again, pig-headedly, I just said, I'm just going to release it myself anyway. I don't care. Um, so I released the record and uh, actually then ended up creating a website and building that up to be, it was the 10,000th biggest site in the world in 2007. And that was a site for small children. I mean, absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, but once again, I was kind of caught between the creativity and the uh, business side of things is trying to survive as a business, trying to keep the website going, whilst also creating this content for kids. But that time I didn't have, I mean, I did it with my ex-wife and she just let me get on with pretty much everything I wanted to do. She was really, really cool about it. <laughs> um, and so I wasn't caught in the middle of different people, but I was caught in the middle of trying to divide my time between the two effectively. And the economist then came out and me saying, how can I divide my time effectively and efficiently to make this move on? <laughs> Which sounds contradictory, but kind of you end up with these little pockets of time where you're saying, I have to be pr productive, productively creative because I have to move the whole thing forwards. And it's, it, oh, so that's quite interesting. I was creating pockets of time for myself where I said, I have three hours on a Monday morning and I have to create something. Yeah, how how did that how did that affect your creating? Feeling like you had to create something? Frankly, I think it worked for me. Um, if I just sit around looking out the window, thinking, "Ooh, I think I'll write a song," and it just never comes. If I say I have to write a song by the end of the morning, uh, much, 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 much easier for me. Um, and in, in the end, I shaped, I, I wrote one song a month for five years. And every month I had to write one site. They're not really songs. They're songettes. They're little kind of short um, ditties for kids. And so, are, is this what you is this what you put out there for for people? You have you've records of of yeah. all these songs. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and are you are you still doing this? No. Well, basically, what we did is we said to the kids who came to the website every month on the first of the month there will be a song. A guy, two games, uh, uh, a manual activity, craft activity, and a short little story with the characters that we created. And so we decide on a topic, for example, you know, um, uh, not being able to find your glasses. And so the whole thing would be around the, the father of the blue dog that I was playing couldn't find his glasses, and it was a big kind of hoo-ha and a bit of a problem. And then I had to write a song. And what I would do is I would focus on the story and the games, and I'd get all that done, and then I'd find myself three days before the end of the month going, what's the song going to be? Oh, and 
literally just have to invent a song and I would just sit down and say, right, what's the song? And I would force myself to write a song. And that one, I can actually sing it for you. Yeah. Without my glasses, I can't see. I can't see properly. Without my glasses, I can't see. But I can play this song. And that, basically, it's that, and then you repeat it. So it's not <laughs> writing a song. So I'm exaggerating. It's writing a very short ditty that sticks in people's heads despite themselves which is exactly what you're trying to do with kids music. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that takes, that takes a lot of talent to, to do. And, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's really cool. Did, did, um, did you have, so, so if I'm under, I just want to make sure I understand it right. So you guys had, had this, uh, was it just a website that you were putting out, yeah. um, this, uh, all this stuff and, and kids would just come and find the new, the new songs and yeah. games and everything. All exactly. The time. And we and were competing with Disney and PBS and the BBC and we were, we were on top of it all and we, we were attracting 5 million visits a month, 60. Wow. So yeah. So this 60 is, this million is... visits in a year in 2007. That's a billion page views, a billion pages. It's insane. So was did the kids know who we, who you were? Like, did you show up on this, or were you just playing a, a voice? Oh no, I, um, I was a blue dog. My wife was a yellow yeah, koala. Okay, okay. Uh, I was called Buwa. She was called Koala. It was delightful. And uh, the, the kids would send in their drawings of Buwa and Koala, um, and it was a bit like Father Christmas because we would write on the website, "Please send your drawings for the gallery. We'll do a gallery." And we did a gallery every month as well. Um, Showing the kids drawings of Boo and Quala, which is super delightful. <laughs> oh, that's Very so touching. And send it to, and the address was Boo and Quala, between the sea and the post office, uh, Mauritius. That was it. And the parents would send them in, and they would go, this is like Father Chris, it's like sending it to Santa Claus, the North Pole. It's not going to get there. And it did. Mauritius is this tiny little country in the Indian Ocean. And it would get to the main city in Mauritius. And the people in the local post office had told the people in the main post office, anything for Buwan Kuala, send it to us. We know where it goes. And for, for seven years, the, the post office system in Mauritius adapted to this Father Christmas-esque <laughs> kind of situation. And it was absolutely delightful. That's so fun. I, lo I love that so, so much. And that's crazy how many, how many visits you're getting every month. That's, that's huge. That's so, that's yeah. so many people. And, uh, well, yeah. it, it, it's a, it's a good example, I think, of the web being what it was supposed to be, which is giving everybody who's creative an opportunity to show what they have to offer the world. And, De democratizing the entire thing and hopefully moving out the big businesses so that we as creators can say, I can, here you go, everybody. And if they like it, they keep coming back. And they, you know, and, 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 and you get that kind of traction, which we did. I mean, in seven years, we went from zero to five million visits a month. And that was purely off our own backs, independent, no big business involved. And it, it was... I thought it was incredibly encouraging. The problem then, of course, is that you have to make a living. Mm -hmm. I was just about to ask, did you make any money off of doing this at all? Uh, not at the beginning, no. Uh, it was really, I mean, my wife had a very good job and she 
uh, paid the bills basically while mm. I messed around with a blue dog <laughs> and a yellow koala. <laughs> you get to uh, play all day. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was it was absolutely brilliant of her. Um, and then at one point, the thing is that once you start getting successful business, people get interested in it. And we ended up making a TV series with uh, ITV International and a couple of other production companies. So it was a big deal. It was released in 20 countries. And it all just fell apart um, because I, I, I had – we had the business people coming in and you can't do that if you want to remain a creative. And the mistake I made was that I, I ended up thinking I was the blue dog. Uh, I went a little bit mad and I couldn't distinguish between myself and the character. And that just basically meant that the business people could totally take advantage of me. Um, and they do. I don't don't give them that opportunity. It's, well, obviously, that's easy advice to give because I got absolutely nailed by it. But um, it, it is really, really, really depressing to think that a business person doesn't have that point of view of thinking. You know, it would be nice too. They come in thinking, how much money can I make out of? And the end of that kind of whole business process was I, I, he was a business partner. It wasn't even kind of that I sold oh, the wow. characters or anything. But I was saying, we have 5 million visits a month and we're making enough money for everybody and everybody's comfortable. It, we can scale this up. The nature of the internet is that you can scale this up. So if we get 5, 000, uh, 5 million visits a month, it costs us, let's say, 5,000 euros to run the server and all the infrastructure. If we double that to 10 million, the cost of the infrastructure only goes up to 5,500. So we don't actually have to make double the money to have double the, the, the income. And so you've actually got this situation where the income will always outgrow the, the cost because of the scalability of the web. And I, I, from my perspective, that wasn't, I mean, I express it much better now than I did at the time, but it was actually, I just want to share this with as many people as possible because I think it's really cool and I'm having a great time and I'm a blue dog. <laughs> um, and the, 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 my business partner was saying, no, how many euros per head are we getting? And I absolutely went off the, off the wall because per head of child, how can you do that? Uh, it's awful, you're not being a kind human being. And the answer to that was, no, I'm not a kind human being. I'm a businessman who wants to make a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah. And, so um, and that, that was the end of that then? And, that was very much the end of that. Yeah. It's quite spectacularly. A bit like yeah. the band split, but not mm -hmm. as kind of um, <laughs> You can't romantic. say it as, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a cool saying for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I got completely crushed by my business partner. Isn't as cool as we realized it wasn't going to happen. That we were living in dream fairyland. The band split. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah and, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that is, and and I and I I know from experience, and it is a tough. It is yeah. a tough thing to deal with, and takes some time to be able to work through. Today, I'm building a platform that helps people with their brand SERPs and their knowledge panels to come back to very pragmatic stuff. But I've got a database of 70,000 brands and people with 10 million results for their names from Google and a, a tracking of Google's knowledge graph, which is a really complicated idea, but terribly, terribly, terribly complicated. <laughs> um, 
And I find that I'm digging into the data, and this is my geeky mathematician economist coming back in a creative way. And what I've, I'm starting to see and what I hope that I'm doing is I'm digging into the data as somebody who's just incredibly inquisitive and curious. And because I can actually, I know how to dig into the data and I've got that mathematical brain somewhere on the right-hand side, on the creative side, on the left-hand side. Don't know how it works or, or if that's even true, but that <laughs> idea is that I'm able to spot things that I think a lot of other people wouldn't spot. If you've got a data scientist digging in, they probably wouldn't see the same thing that I'm saying. So I'm hoping that this time I'm going to marry that pragmatic data scientist with the creative person, with the sensible business person who doesn't get involved in the pure business side of things and, and, and accept. If I'm happy digging into my data, I don't need to make a lot of money. I need to make enough money to pay the bills and being happy creating is, is the foundation of my existence of a human being. Sorry, I, I suddenly realized how Hollywood it was getting. <laughs> no, this is this is great, and and I think it's it's really helpful to to know for people to know your experience and what you've gone through, and that you do have um, both of the pragmatic um, and creative sides, and um, I th I think that's really unique. Um, for some, for someone to have both, and and also to be able to have that experience, so um, I, I really enjoy hearing where what you're thinking along the lines of okay, how do I? Because that is really the struggle that most of us creatives struggle with. You're like, I want to do something that I love doing and I'm passionate about doing, and I like creating, but I also have to pay bills. And it's also easy to get caught up in the uh, trying to make as much money as you can too. And then, and you can just like lose the whole joy of creating and you lose your whole vision. So there's, yeah. there's a lot there. Well, yeah, there is that, that thing of the business person coming up to you and saying, oh, you could make a lot of money. You could be rich and, and kind of pulling you into this world. And my, obviously this is a total generalization, but their aims are totally, totally different to yours. Unless you're a creative who just wants to make boatloads of money and you're willing to sell your soul to the devil to do so. <laughs> but um, remember that from my perspective, looking back, is what they're aiming to do is make as much money as they possibly can out of whatever it is that's being produced. And for them, it could be tomatoes. But it's not. It happens to be a song or a book or a film or whatever it might be. But they're not looking at it like that. They're looking at it. And my business partner actually said, and it should have rung lots of bells in my little brain, but it didn't. I could be selling uh, zucchini, but I'm not. I'm selling cartoons. And I should, I should have just run away at that point because as soon as somebody says that, he was very honest. I mean, it, it really is, was very honest of him, but I didn't actually take it that seriously, and I should have done. I talked to somebody yesterday about his company as well, and he was saying, oh, I keep forgetting that my company and me are not the same thing. And we do that as human beings. And as an artist or a creator, I think the danger is double uh, in the sense that we will confuse that kind of thing. And the, the pain when it goes wrong is a gazillion times worse is my factual scientific <laughs> evaluation of the volume of pain. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I'm curious to uh, where you stand now going through um, all of these experiences 
where where do you stand as far as as um creating and making making a living like do you feel like you're in your sweet spot right now as far as as what you're doing or yeah well i think from a creative perspective i'm creating a platform and the, the platform it's code so honestly speaking i've put lots of love into it i wouldn't say i put my soul into it I don't know if there's really truly a difference between the two, but there is now. Um, but most of what I'm actually doing is learning. I'm trying to figure out how Google works, how Google thinks. And it's what, what I love about it, and it's so delightful, is that it's a bit like thinking you're going to play a sta- as a stadium rock band. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to understand how Google functions. <laughs> It, it, it's this moving target that's running so fast ahead of me that I'm kind of trying to run to keep up. It, it can be really frustrating because you think, I thought I'd understood lots of stuff last week, but they've just changed like 25,000 million things and it's all kind of moved forwards much faster than I, than, than I can keep moving forwards. But um, it, the idea of the journey and learning and understanding a little bit more every day is incredibly, for me, empowering. So it's not creating, it's understanding. And getting those little kind of light bulb moments, um, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that. And that's not so much creativity, I suppose. I think it's creativity that helps me to get there. But I'm getting pleasure out of the light bulb moments that I'm getting every day as I understand a little bit more. Um, so maybe it's just applying creativity in a different way. Oh, that's less dangerous for my inner soul because I'm not actually putting myself in it. Yeah, yeah. Part of this learning how Google works is I do experiments on Google. And part of that experiment is to feed it, educate it about my music groups, my music albums, my songs, my TV series, myself. And so on my site, I have all of this listed out. It sounds like I'm completely obsessed and terribly, terribly kind of one of these people who wants to organize everything all the time. It's not true. I'm actually just listing it out, feeding it to Google to see if I can get Google to fully understand how it all fits together. And one interesting thing is that one of the albums has 53 songs on it. Um, Yeah, very short songs, obviously, uh, because... And when I started my experiment, if you search for the album name, it could only name 12 of the songs from the album, and it got them in the wrong order. So what I did is built a section on my website that just basically explained it to Google in really simple terms. And four weeks later, it could list 51 of the 53 songs in the right order. Whoa. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, oh, that's, oh, that's so, I know nothing about any of, any of that or how you would even go about doing that, but that's, that's really cool I, that you can figure out how to make Google understand yeah. that. So, so that, is, that is a fun job. Yeah, well, that's a very good point, and thank you for making it. Um, it's a fun job, and educating Google is actually, conceptually, it's really interesting, and it's fun when you do it. Actually, doing it is pretty boring because you've got to list all this stuff out, but it also forces you to think about what am I actually doing? What, how, how is all this fitting together in my brain? So it helps you understand how you think too, which is a really interesting introspective kind of thing to do. Um, and I... I love my job as long as I'm doing my silly experiments on the Blue Dog, the Yellow Koala, and my music group. So, Jason, I know you um, doing these cartoons um, 
Okay, let me start that off here. <laughs> okay, so, so Hang Jason. On, I'll do your voice. So, Jason, yeah. <laughs> how, how was it during the TV series? What lessons did that teach you? That's yeah, my American that, accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We have. I actually have cousins from our families from Australia, and they do. They do some pretty. They do some pretty good American accents. I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. So, um, so so Jason, you did uh, these cartoons. So what what lessons did you learn in in doing this? Right, it actually taught me a phenomenal amount because we've been doing this, this website, and then we started doing a real TV series, and we wrote the scripts with my wife. And the idea was that each episode would be exactly five minutes long. And we would write the, the scripts and we would end up with six to seven minutes of animation at the end of it. And the director had a phenomenal talent for being able to cut out all the right parts that meant that the storyline didn't get lost and the narrative didn't get lost. And I was being incredibly precious and sitting there thinking, you can't cut that bit out. The bit where, where the, 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 the blue dog jumps into the swimming pool is incredibly important to my life. And looking back today, I don't remember any of the parts that he cut out that I thought was so phenomenally important at the time. I was being incredibly precious. And what I learned from that is take a, a big step back when somebody is you're working with in collaboration on something like this and think if they really know what they're doing and you trust them, you need to not be so precious because if they're doing a good job, you will not remember the things that you were so precious about when they actually did it. And it also applied to playing music at the same time. And then I, I actually had an experience today that, that now we're talking about it comes back to me and makes me realize that that taught me a good lesson is that I've become quite good at that from watching this guy do it so successfully and understanding or probably not understanding, but certainly getting a good lesson from him because we did 52 episodes and I sat through the editing of 52 episodes where he ruthlessly cut 20% <laughs> of all my beautiful animation and storytelling. And to remind you, today I still don't know which bits he's cut out, even though I was there when he did it. So they weren't that good or they weren't that important. Um, and today I was doing a daily brand SERP. What, what I do is every day I take a brand SERP, uh, what the result, the Google result for a person or a company or a music album or a film or whatever, and I just analyze it quickly and I point out some interesting things about it and suggest things that people can do to improve what Google shows their audience when they search the brand name or their personal name. And my... The person who does the video editing wrote to me and said, you've recorded, I did Captain Sensible's brand set, the guy from The, the Damned, for a joke. And I thought it was really cool. I got a bit carried away because he's a big uh, hero of mine. And so I started off by saying, oh, I played a gig with Captain Sensible when I was in a punk folk group. I supported him in Germany and he had measles, so I couldn't talk to him. And when I opened the door, he said, oh, I've got measles. You can't come in and talk to me. And only afterwards did I realize he probably didn't have measles. He just didn't <laughs> want to talk to some awful fan who happened to be supporting him on his German tour in the 1990s. <laughs> Uh, but I believed him. And uh, so was, he, was, he was telling a white lie, a kind, kind lie that made me feel better about being a, a, a fawning fan, as it were. But that wasn't the point. I recorded this video, and it was 2 minutes and 45 seconds long. And the person who's doing the video editing wrote to me and said, you're going to have to cut some of this out because on Twitter you can only do 2 minutes and 20. 
And I listened to it. I was going, I can't cut the bit about the measles out. It's such a great story. But in fact, I've cut it out. And then I cut out another bit further on. And these, these bits that I, I, I think are interesting, are they important? No. So I actually realize now that we're talking about this, that I cut that down from 2 minutes 45 to 2 minutes 15. And it's just as good as it was before, probably better because it's more concise. And that story, the measles, I think it's funny. Maybe nobody else will. And it actually <laughs> doesn't fit in with what I was talking about around it. So hopefully I learned that lesson from that director, that being ruthless with yourself, with your own creation, can actually be a very um, positive experience. I'm actually really happy that I managed to do it. And I think it's better for the fact that I was ruthless with myself. Yeah, that uh, I wish I had done that for, I'm a video editor, so I wish yeah. I would have done that for many projects and, uh, and films that I had done. There's, I probably could have cut some of those in half and it would have, would have made it so much better. But at the time I was like, we can't, can't lose this because we, we, we made it. But really the audience has no idea that any of this got yeah. cut. And, yeah, uh, that's the thing. Is the audience doesn't know it exists, so it doesn't actually matter in and yeah. of itself as long as the narrative still functions. Yeah. And I mean, that is the thing is if you, if you set yourself an absolute time limit, I mean, this was five minutes, the TV series, five minutes to the second he had to edit it down to. So who would be editing kind of like part of the dog coming around the corner and saying, we don't actually have to see him start coming around the corner. We only have to see him end coming around the corner. And I, I was I, I honestly great respect for him for, for doing such an amazing job on that. And, and it was really coming down to these tiny moments that we would cut out. And today's experience with Captain Sensible, um, yeah, uh, I, when she said to me, it has to be two, two minutes 20 or less, I was forced to be ruthless. And I think that might not be a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I I definitely agree. So one thing that I do ask everyone is, and this, <laughs> this this might be it's always a hard question because I had someone turn it around on me, and I was like, oh yeah, I definitely put people on the spot. But um, <laughs> what, well, put me on the so, spot. I'm yeah. ready. So if you had one piece of advice to give to creatives and entrepreneurs, what would that be? Oh, I mean, well, mine is totally personal. It's have fun. Enjoy what you're doing. Um, the thing about it is, is I started off with economics and realized that I didn't want to be an accountant. And from that moment onwards, I have basically just done what I thought would be the most fun and done it even though people didn't necessarily weren't interested in it. The music group took a long time to get off the ground. The cartoon series, I mean, we were very successful, but it took two years to get any kind of traction at all. Uh, same thing with what I'm doing today. If, if, if it's fun, you get up in the morning, you think, yeah, this is going to be a good day. And that's a really, really nice feeling. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say make sure that you actually truly enjoy what you're doing and you're not doing it for reasons, for example, I think it will be successful or my mother thinks this is a good idea uh, or anything kind of along those lines. I mean, you have to live with it. You have to live your life. You have to um, stand by whatever it is you've created. So create something you love that you had fun doing and that you're proud of. Yeah, that is, I love that. 
Great advice. So yeah, you answered you, you you answered that very quickly. So I, um, I'm very impressed. Um, right. So, yeah. I, I, one thing you've just learned about me is I actually don't think it just comes out of my mouth. <laughs> so Jason, is there anywhere that people can find you? Yes. Please search my name, Jason Barnard, because basically that will show you the places you can find me, and then you can choose where you want to interact with me if you want to interact or learn about me on my own site, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, um, on Facebook, maybe. I don't really like Facebook much, but if you read it, you can always come and talk to me on Facebook. My favorite is Twitter. But basically, if you read down the results when you search my, my personal name, you'll find me and be able to interact with me. And I like this part where you feel most comfortable. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for being on the show. We've loved having you. This has been so fun. So thank you. Absolutely awesome. And I can sing a song to end it, but I never have a rhyme, which is why they always fall apart when I get to the end. I love it. There you go. What a what a wonderful way to uh, have a musician and singer end this in this show. So appreciate it, Jason. <laughs> I'm, I'm now wondering that the singer in my band he used to be able to do that and actually make it all rhyme. And I've just done it. I don't think does anybody really care if it rhymes? And I think no, the answer is no. No, I think it's I, honestly. I think it's way cooler if it doesn't rhyme. I think every. I don't know. Maybe Brilliant. it's just maybe it's just me. So. You, you've inspired me to write an album of non-rhyming songs. <laughs> We're off. There we go. Well, thank you all for listening. And if you want to hear any of Jason singing, please contact him. And uh, we will see you all next time. Thanks a lot, man. Bye bye.